pray that you can say, even in those valley situations, that I will continue to sing. You may be seated and children are dismissed to Children's Chapel this morning. Times of discouragement and facing my giants, I have to say that there was a little jingle that I would sing. Let me see if I can remember the words, because I always sing the first part, but not the whole chorus. It goes like this. The battle's not mine, says little David, Lord, it's thine, I'm in your favor. I've given it all to you, Lord. I knew not what to do, but now we're going to see. There it is. You're really all that I need, because the battle's not mine. I give it to you, Lord, it's thine. Thank you. How many would say when you're facing that giant in your life, you just want to say, God, I get rid of it. This battle's not mine. I give it to you. David faced a giant in his life. And I know that Pastor Chris really appreciates me, you know, picking this text because we only heard it not once, twice, three times a message. He thought I was going to say something else. But it was so funny because... As Alistair Begg from Parkside Church up in, here in Ohio, in Chikrin Falls area, as he was preaching, they brought in another gentleman to preach. And I've never seen this in all the years I've been in the ministry. I've never seen somebody take the same text and preach it twice. I mean, they normally always say, okay, I want you to focus on this passage, this text, so on and so forth. And in, in regard to this, this man gets up and he says, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And everybody started laughing. I really thought bad at first for him because I thought he just flew in on a plane and he's probably thinking, what did I say that was funny? They don't like my voice. Little did he realize that now he was going to become the joke of the whole conference. And, Al- and Alistair Begg as well because every time somebody got up, they'd say, please turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, so today I request that you... Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Do you remember the times when you've struggled with something or you've been fighting a battle and it's left you feeling like you've been run over by a Mack truck? Battles are exhausting. They wear me out. We feel like we're always spending our time trying to defeat a giant. If we're fortunate enough, we don't make it there often, but the reality is we all make it there at some time. In some cases, we're up against a problem or maybe even a distraction. In other cases, we're fighting sin that has got a hold of us, and as much as we want to defeat the giant in our lives, it rears its ugly head time and time and time again. We've all been to the place where we've had to deal with giants, giants like worry. Giants of doubt and giants of fear, maybe anxiety, depression, insecurity, inadequacy. Whatever it has been, we've wandered through those dry valleys looking for answers and sometimes we come up empty. We feel a lot like David standing in the intimidating shadow of a Goliath. Like what Bruce Larson said in his book, Believe and Belong, tells of how he helped people who were struggling to defeat giants in their life. And this is what he wrote. For many years I worked in New York City and counseled at my office any number of people who were wrestling with these situations. 
often I would suggest they walk with me from my office to downtown to the RCA building, which is found on the 5th floor and on 5th Avenue. In the entrance of that building is a a gigantic statue of Atlas, a perfectly proportioned man who with all of his muscles straining is holding the world upon his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand up under his burden. Now that's one way we can live, and that's one way that you can live. He then would say, I would point out, trying to carry the world on your shoulders, but now come across the street with me. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral, and there behind the altar is a statue of Jesus as a boy, perhaps maybe even eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he is holding the world in one hand. What a pondering thought. The truth is we have a choice, and all of us today are faced with a question. Who are we relying on to defeat our giants? And who are we counting on to carry our burdens? Who are we relying on to defeat our giants? And who are we counting on to carry our burdens? Goliath was David's giant to overcome. It was his distraction and his problem. In fact, Goliath was Israel's giant to overcome. Even though the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul at this point in his life, he was still leading the army of the Israelites in battle. And by this point, Saul had lost all confidence in God's leadership, not only in his life, but also in the life of his nation. And it became very evident in the way Saul led his troops against the Philistines. For a long time, Saul and his men would wake up every morning and stand face to face with their giant. That was the problem. They were facing their giant day after day after day after day. There was a key element that was missing in their battle strategy that forced them to waste time dealing with the same giant every day. I want to say that I stand humbled before this cross and behind this cross to say to each and every person in this room, that we may express that, God, I can't do this alone. We may express the feelings of abandonment. But God has not forsaken you. And I stand up here today to say this. God has final authority in everything, in every situation, and in everybody. We come to church out of faithfulness. We come to church because of our devotion and our commitment to God. We come because we want to sing His praise. And today, you've made Him, this morning, your focus in your life. And I want to say that God is the one who still is reigning. For He's not dead. He is alive. And He is the everlasting God. And He is our God that is greater and that is higher than any other. And church, 
We need to have revival. Christians need to have revival. This has become an option. This has become an alternative. Church is a recreation for many. And it shouldn't be. For every facet of this ministry is ministry. To changing the trash. To being in a position of authority and leadership and uplifting somebody in prayer. No matter what it is, no matter what you face, just like David, you will face adversity, disappointment, and discouragement. And I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm thankful for a great example that this week, that within my heart, I was renewed to realize that it doesn't matter what Todd wants, what he thinks, but what's more important is what God wants and what he thinks. And now daily I need to surrender my life to him. And cry out to God and ask Him to help me to face the giant that's in my life. For we realize that in our adequacies, that in our weaknesses, He makes us strong. And we also realize that in our times of defeat, that He's there to help us to conquer and to help us win that battle. I love what Alistair Begg said. The armies got up for 40 days and they were facing each other. And it will resonate with me forever. For this was quite hysterical. How many of you have heard of Alistair Begg on WCRF, Moody Radio? And he's from Scotland and he talks like this. And that might resonate with most of you. And what I loved that as he was reading, he was telling this story... And I have said it all weekend because I haven't forgotten about it. And the funny thing was that he said, can you imagine? Here's all these guys for 40 days are going out there and they're standing. And this nine and a half beast, I mean, if somebody walked through this door right now that was nine and a half feet tall, would all of us turn our head and look? Go ahead. Say, yes, we would. It would catch our attention. Some big, huge guy. I mean, the pastor from Acker Bible Church, he's a big dude, isn't he? And he stands up front, and you can't help because I want to say, I was going to say his upper arm is as big as my, my thigh, but I think it's as big as my waist. That guy is humongous. And, and I just love everybody from the Round Street Mission over here in Akron because they're just wonderful guys. I mean, they all drove their Harleys there. And you know who's with Akron Bible Church because they're a bunch of Harley riders. I just, I love it. And as we were leaving that, all their Harleys lined up, getting ready to, to venture home in this nice, wonderful, warm, hot, sweating weather. I looked at their associate pastor. I said, ah, oh, this is going to be freezing. I, I just can't believe it's, I couldn't do what you're doing. They love it. I mean, they live to ride. But he's doing a great work over there. And he takes their men there. But I look at, at Goliath and I think of David. And, and here he is, you know, going out there this little runt of a guy, and he's facing Goliath. And, and can you imagine 
And, and this is what Alistair Begg said, which kind of resonated with me, and I'll never forget it as, as long as I live. He said, can you imagine as the little 15-year-old who came up and says, hey, I, God told me to do this, and my God is going to help me defeat this giant, this obstacle. And Alistair Begg said kind of like this, can you just imagine all the Israelites, they're lining up for battle every day, putting on their gear, putting on their equipment, doing what they have to do because they're getting ready to fight the Philistines and they know they can't take down that big giant. And here comes little David through the crowd. And he said, and so the Israelites scream out, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can. And everybody, we just kind of stopped because on his voice, you know, he's got that Scottish voice, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can. And I thought, wow, that's a message in itself. I mean, if we could say, I can do it, I can do it, I can, I can, because you can do all things through Christ that gives you the strength. And so I haven't forgotten that. Todd, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can. And that's what David was thinking. As he was going through that valley, he was thinking, okay, God, I can do it, I can do it, I can, I can. Defeat and discouragement hits us. And we lose all fuel, we lose all gas, and we feel like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't, I can't. But David knew with the power of God he could do it. What is the giant in your life? And this morning, as I quickly share a couple aspects of this week, but yet give you the understanding of this voice that, or of this verse that was highlighted to me this past week, that I just I loved for Samuel and just how God's word was spoken and what it spoke to me as they, as they honored Yahweh and they honored God for who he is. Let's go to him this morning in prayer. Father, we come to you, Lord, with an attitude of gratitude. Lord, to say, thank you for sitting on the throne and thank you for providing for us Good health, shelter, a home, a family, a church. But more importantly, Father, we're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your protection upon our lives and the encouragement and edification that we get by having an intimate relationship with you. And Father, as I come to you today, I realize you are in control. And so I surrender this message to you. I surrender these thoughts to you. And I relinquish all authority to you. And so, Father, hide me in your shadows behind the cross. And may this message in my heart be one that will be able to resonate and mirror who you are and what you are. And so, Father, thank you for your word and bring it to life this morning. Amen. All right. Let's read together in 1 Samuel 17. Here we read one of the most famous battles, not only in the Bible, but also of history. David faced a physical giant in Goliath, but we face giants of our own all the time. 
whether they are mental, physical, emotional, whatever the spiritual giants are, we face them on a daily basis. So we must ask this question. How do we defeat the giants in our life? And what do we learn from David's giant killing that we can use ourselves? David lived by a simple principle to defeat the giants in his life. He had nothing to prove and nothing to lose. He had nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Let's read together in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start with verse number 1. And I can't help but every time I read this, in, in yesterday, last evening, this morning as I was sitting on the porch, all I keep hearing is Alistair Begg read this. I'll never hear it the same again. Will you, Pastor Chris? I just want to have a voice like his. So that everybody would just sit here like, and I wonder if our voice sounds like that to them. I'm sure it does. It has an accent to it. Even the Canadians will say to me, you have an accent to your voice. It's, we like to hear you talk. The pastors that were, that's what they said last year to me, they're like, wow, you got, I said, does it sound Southern? No, it doesn't sound Southern. Does it sound like I'm from New York, the Bronx? They're like, yeah, it's kind of a combination between the two. I'm like, well, okay, I didn't realize that. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together with Shoko, or you could say Shako, or whatever you want to say, which belongs to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Esdemim. Okay, that doesn't really hold any bearing anyhow. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah. And set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. And Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Whose height was six cubits and a span, which is nine and a half feet tall. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That's 125 pounds. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and your servants to Saul? Choose you a man for, for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants, that if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and they were scared to death. How many of you want to go up against a nine and a half foot giant? Not me. Just saying, okay? So they were afraid. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons then went to the battle where Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shema. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Isn't it amazing? They followed Saul out of obedience. But do you guys realize that Saul really fell out of God's will before this? 
So God, again, is always showing himself mighty. How many of you would say when you've lost sight of God, he's really revealed himself again and again and again? We have to have God's stories, amen, to keep us going in in our life. Verse Verse 14. And David was the youngest, and three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem, always about his father's business. 16, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. They got up, put the armor on, went out to battle, did their thing, and here they are ready to battle. Nothing's happening because nobody has enough courage because they've all lost sight of who God was. Don't you love the significance? There's a number again because I'm all about how many days did he fast in the wilderness? 40 days. 17, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to, to the camp to thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he camped, uh, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in hand of the keeper of the carriage, and that word carriage means supplies, actually, and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. That word saluted actually means he greeted his brothers. Now David's standing there, and all of a sudden he hears the challenge from God. And if you've never heard, and I tell people this all the time, let's make this applicable to today. If God has spoke to you, are you responding upon him speaking to you? Or have you said, oh, that's just coincidental, that's just my conscience speaking? Are you actually saying, no, God is telling me to respond this way? Are you saying, okay, I'm going to do it. You don't have to give somebody a, you know, a little sermonette before you say something to them. But are you actually listening to the Holy Spirit and responding? I love if you look back at 16, chapter 16, and I, I won't read all of it, but Samuel approaches Jesse and talks about David and he said bring your sons here and he appoints David he anoints David because he saw something different about him but I also love what it says he was a ruddy a ruddy just a little squandery guy and with all of beauty, beautiful countenance there was something different about David they caught his attention but you know what I really think caught his attention the heart of God they saw the heart of God in him Remember, he's salt and he's light. And so really that's what Samuel was saying. There's something different about David. And we realize through Scripture that the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. So we continue. Verse 23, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his Father's house free in Israel. So Saul's going to reward David or any man that stands up against 
the big bad wolf. 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after the manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him? And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. If thou art come down, that thou mightest see the battle. I'm going to stop there just for a minute. Think what his brother said. How many of we have had jealousy in our family? Really? Just like five of us? We know we have. There has been jealousy in our family. And here's his brother already jealous that this little R-U-D-D-Y, this little runt, this little Rudy, is coming going, oh, really, my brother's coming? I mean, he's a kid, for goodness sake. And it said he became angry and he became jealous. So here's, here's the question. Is that, was that the giant in his brother's life? Jealousy? That he had to overcome? I really do believe it was that. Because he made that his focus. You can't heal. There's no recovery unless you realize, yes, I've got a problem. And I've got to be healed from this. And so David said unto him in verse 29, What have I now done to you? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him to, toward one another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul. And he sent for him. So now all of a sudden Saul says, wait a minute. I need, I need to talk to this young man. Bring him over. And David said to Saul in verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And all of you guys think that you can't be used. You have a great witness. Sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. You could become that missionary to your peers. All David was was this willing vessel. But in verse 16, here's what it said. He did the will of his father. See, he was obedient. And I really do believe that he was trying to fulfill the law, which was the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother. Hey, my dad didn't live a life that was honorable in the sight of God. But I have to tell you this, that he gave me some of the greatest advice. And so I listened to it. Maybe some of you young people that are in this room don't think you can, cannot be used because God can use you greatly. And he wants to use you greatly. And so we continue. Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and I smote him, and delivered out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Could you imagine there's a youth who's taken down a bear? A bear. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And the uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. The armies of the living God, right? So the God that the Israelites served, was he dead? 
No, he was alive. Was he dead? No. Thank you. Is he dead today? No. No, thank you. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go and he had not proved it. And that actually means in the scriptures that he tried to walk, he tested out the gear, and he just couldn't do it. For I have not proved them, and David put them off him. And, okay, here's what happened. Can you guys imagine some little tiny guy had to put on an adult's clothing? You know what we used to do as kids? If you guys haven't met my stepdad, Ray, he's not a tiny little guy. And we always loved putting on his pants. Tracy in one leg, me in another leg. And then, <laughs> then we would take his shirt and wrap it around us, try to put pillows in there to see if we could, you know, fit his clothing on. I mean, it was fun. Better yet, for Halloween, you've got to remember, this is back in the 70s, we didn't go to the store, nor did we have the money to go to the store and pick out a fancy $50 costume for Halloween. We had to be creative and artistic and what did we always dress up as? A hobo. It was easy. Take his pants because they were big and his shirt and they were big and then we'd just stuff them. And it was great. But that's exactly what he said. Okay, here, David, I'm the king. Can you imagine what a coward uh, Saul was? Because he lost sight of the strength and the power of God. You know, the Bible says that Saul slew, slew his thousands. David slew his tens of thousands. Killed a lot of people. But... Here he says, put on this stuff. So can you imagine? He puts it on and clank, it falls to the ground. And a little guy goes up. I mean, it's just po it's impossible. I mean, I can't put my suit coat on Jaden. And I was going to have him up here for sake of time. I was going to try to take a suit coat, just kind of illustrate the difference there. But it would be hysterical. I mean, you, you just, you can't even imagine. And so... Here's David. He says, He took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained. Actually, I love that word, he belittled him. He was making fun of him. For he was but a youth. And there's that word again. And a ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Listen closely. Come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and of the beasts of the field. And here's what David responded and said. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, Yahweh, whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
And he continues. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. And remembered, I shared this a few years back, there's power in the name of God. I remember when we took a missions trip to Mexico, me and another young man was there, and some of you may have heard this story, but I'll refresh your memory. And I, I knew there was power in God's word. Because if somebody's coming after you to attack you, and you use the name of God, there's power and authority in the living God. But you have to believe it. You can't go, oh, in the name of God. Uh, again, God, there's authority. And I remembered we're going up to knock on a door. We're out visiting people, saying, La película esta noche en Pacaya las ocho. There's a movie in the park at 8 o'clock. I memorized it. Now I say it. My kids think I'm speaking in an unknown tongue. And, uh, but here's, here's what I did. We turned around and this kid with me said, do you hear that? And I said, yeah, I hear it. What is it? As we turned around, these German shepherds were coming after us from behind. And I only did what I thought was necessary. In the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. And I froze. And in that dirt road, those German shepherds froze. They stopped right in their tracks and turned around with their tail between their legs. <sighs> Thank God it worked. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Well, what was funny is I looked at him and he said, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. God did it. It was the power of the living God. pastor friend of mine, Ron, he was in bed, they were sleeping, and all of a sudden, he awoke with a flashlight in his face. The parsonage was, this is in Ravenna, the parsonage was directly to the right, to the left of the, the sanctuary. They lived there. They were being burglarized. There were two men in their house. So they got them all up out of bed. And as they lined them up in the living room, they were burglarizing their house. And Ron said, I couldn't think of what to say or what to do. And he finally said, I pointed my finger at them and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to go. And he said, I took authority and I yelled at him. And he said, I don't know what happened, but I know God took authority. Something moved him, slammed him up against the wall, and they ran out of the house. He said, I didn't point a gun at him. I said, I command you to go in the name of Jesus Christ. When David was facing his Goliath, he said this. You know what? You can have all the weapons. You can have all the warfare. You can have a tank. You can have guns. But I have all the power of the living God. We're sitting in the pew today. We're suffering. And this is where I feel really moved. We have, we're suffering we're faltering, we're failing because we don't believe in the power of the living God. We don't believe in our own prayer life. We go to God and pray and say, can I pray for you? You know, somebody will walk up to me and say, you know, I'd covet your prayers. Well, I'll say, can I pray for you right now? Don't ask me to pray because it depends on where I'm at. I might have you bow on your head and we'll be praying right in the middle of a store, in the middle of a pool area, wherever it's at. I'm going to just pray. Because I believe that if you ask me right then, we need to pray. Couple 
said to me, can you pray for me? I said, yeah, right here. They said, right here in the middle of Walmart. I said, right here in the middle of Walmart, right there in Brentfield. And God did a work even that day in their life as I got an email back. There's power in prayer. And if we just sit there and go, well, I'll pray for you, handshake and a wink in the eye, people don't believe that. They want you to live it. They want to see it in your life. Remember, you're salt and light to their unseasoned, dark world they live in. And so there's David, and we're going to continue. I had a whole message planned, and I'm, 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 this is all great. I just love God's Word. We can just read it. And, uh, and it said in verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, but for the battle is the Lord's. And I already read that, and he will go, give you into your hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Can you imagine... Here's this little squandery guy who goes down into the valley, as what the scripture says, and he's getting closer to him. I know what he's thinking. I can do it. I can do it. I can. I can. That's what I, that's what I pictured. Alistair Begg didn't say that, but I was thinking that in my head. I'm sure that's what he was saying. Because he became bigger and bigger and bigger. Isn't it amazing? Take a pixel that's real far away and zoom in and on your phone or your iPad, and all of a sudden you're counting freckles on somebody's face. It's amazing. So he probably got up to him and he said, Heller, what am I going to do now? No, he didn't. He was as confident then as he went charging towards the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine, Philistine in his forehead and that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine, and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. So here's what he did. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah rose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley, and to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shiram, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. That word actually means they plundered. They took their tents down. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And this was a thought that I, just moved me all week. But he put his armor in his tent. He took Goliath's armor back and stuck it in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Then the king said, Inquire thou whose son this, this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. But I want you guys to notice something. That he said that he went and he took the head, he cut off his head, and he took it back to his tent. And he wanted to show King Saul what he did. But see, here's the rest of the story, and we're going to close. Because here's the reality of it. No matter what you're facing or what you're going through, no matter when doubt starts to set in, and you say to yourself, God has lost His fellowship with me, maybe it's that you've lost your fellowship with Him. And when you say to yourself, I don't feel like I've got the courage 
That God wants to say to you, yes, you can, you could do anything because I'm Almighty God. I'm the living God. I want to see a church changed. But more than anything, God wants to see a church changed. Putting aside all those giants, I want you to stop. And for some that have dealt with some adversity in your life, some hang-up, some habit, maybe some hurt, he took his armor. And it says he went back to his tent. Why did he keep that armor? Some say it was a reminder. Do you know what I looked at it as? It was a God story. So that when David would commit sin with Bathsheba, that would be the reminder that he still serves a living God. And then he would take a pen and he would start to write some prayers. So that it would encourage all of us in our time when we feel alone and empty. What's your God story? This week, Pastor Chris and I was, in the afternoon, I was speaking to a pastor friend, Cedric. And we were walking out with him, and the door opened up, and this um, I forgot his name. Help me out. Viju. Thank you. Viju opened up the door for us. He's from India. Young man. And as I'm talking to Cedric, Cedric says, oh, I've got to meet this guy. And he made, made the comment, India. Well, he stopped, Viju stopped and said, oh, what are you guys talking about? And we started talking to him. And as he started to divulge more information and talk and talk and talk, I became more intrigued and more interested in what he was saying and what he was doing. Like, really? Chris was too. We're like, wow, that's your ministry? He's pastoring a small little church there in Chicago, Illinois. He's a graduate of Moody Institute. Young man who was very poor, never thought that he would be able to come to the States to get his, uh, his master's degree. And, but God took care of everything where it was free, and now he has a, a master's degree, and he's educated, and he said to me, I'm not smart. Matter of fact, I felt like I was the stupid one in my family, and academics just was not my strength. But he said, but it's just amazing. And this is what he said, man, I just want to shake And, you know, I'm looking at him. He's like, I'm like shaking all over. He was shaking with emotion. Because here's what he said. He said this. Before you walked outside and started talking to me, I was in the common area and said a prayer. I was meeting with a friend. And I said, God, I've been here this whole week and I've not had opportunity to meet somebody. Lord, you know I want to go back to India and I want to start a mission for children. They don't get the education. There's no athletes. And, and he made a point to us. Have you guys seen very many people from India in the Olympics? Do you ever see them playing, you know, professional football, soccer? He said no, because it's not something that's, that's promoted. He said, so my wife and I would like to go back and start a mission in India. And he said, and I, as I was praying, I said, God, give me opportunity. 
let me just have a contact. I need support. Our family needs support. We're going to be leaving in September from, you know, the, the west side of Chicago. And I, I just want to start this mission. God, show yourself real to me. And within 10 minutes, he opens up the door with us. We walk out. And before he shared this story with me, I said to him, can I have your car? Do you have a brochure or something? I would like to have you come to our church and take you on for support. And he stood there and he did this. I'm, I'm like, I'm all nervous. I'm shaking all over. I'm shaking all over. I know he was about to weep. Well, Chris and I wiping our eyes because it's moving for us. Listen to me, church. Here's a young man who said, I can't believe I get up and preach a message every week because I just want to throw up. He said, it scares me to death. And I'm pastoring a church. And now I'm heading to a foreign field, to a mission. And he said, I can't believe I'm doing it. Well, listen. With God, all things are possible. And so he wrote me on my Facebook page and said, thank you that I got a chance to meet you and Pastor Chris. For it's changed me. Why did it change him? Because I bet you he took our card and he probably set it up. And that will be a forever reminder that God answered his prayer within 10 minutes. When you feel like there's no hope and you're in a valley situation and you're facing your Goliath, I want you to know that with God all things are possible. And I'm glad we have our intimate family here. And I'll share this with you and I'm done. We were looking at the building on Talmadge Avenue. And I, I thought, well, Lord, you know, I know we're, we have a building fund and we want to build and we want to add an addition over here. But that's on a main strip and there's exposure. It's bigger. We can fit 350 people in the sanctuary. We can transform the, the service department into a sanctuary. I mean, it was just, to me, it was the place to go. And every week I would call the real estate agent. He's like, it's fine. We're just waiting. We're waiting for a profit loss statement. We're waiting for, you know, uh, not just the P&L, but we're also waiting for uh, the bank, you know, before I could give them actual a, an official offer. I met with Roy here at the uh, and our deacons and trustees and officers. have. We've all gone around about this and prayed about it. And it wasn't by mistake that God prompted my heart. I know that God spoke to me about going over there and inquiring about this building. I'm as sure about that as I am my salvation. But when I called and said, you know, what do I need to do to move forward? Where we've concluded with a profit and loss statement. I just spoke with the bank. He said we sold the building. Now, I've been speaking with this real estate agent every week. And I realized right at that moment, and for many of you don't understand that, is I've had some moments by myself with me and God. I'm just being transparent with you. I was disappointed. I was discouraged. And here's what I said. What has happened to the man's word? I thought a man's word was golden. If somebody says they're going to do something, 
at least give me a call and give me a courtesy to say we're going to move on. Well, God ended up working something out in my own life. I really believed that my own Goliath was the expectation of what I think needs to be done. And I realized this week, when I pulled up to Moody Church, where Erwin Lutzer is the pastor, that there was nowhere to park. And I looked at Chris and I said, where are we going to park? What are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. I said, this says we can't park here and we've got to be out of here by 4 o'clock. Let's do it. We'll walk around the building. We walked around the building. And, and I'm thinking, how does a church have 6,000 people and there's nowhere to park? Because statistics have always told me that we have to have this many parking spots in order to fill this many in the sanctuary. Well, I'm here to say that today we have empty seats in here. And God has blessed our ministry. But here's the reality. If I have to, I'm going to build all the way to that corner. Because I don't need parking. God gave us legs. So we go into Moody and we sit down. And here's what Erwin Lutzer says. He said, we spend 225000 to 250000 a year for parking. Because we rent all the spaces around the, the church building. And they can house 4,000 people. And we're worried about 250 people. And right then God said to me, because I'm greater and I'm stronger and I'm more powerful. And this peace came over me because I will tell all of you something. I was mad and I was angry. And I was disappointed because I had this vision. Well, God can fulfill his vision. And I'm glad for some of you, I'm not sure this with, with you, but... The church building that we were going to build out here was $600,000. And the more I thought about it, I thought, that's just way too much money for this size of congregation. I want to be a good steward of God's money, and I'm not going to take a $600,000 debt. I want all of you to know that. But our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. You are the God that's the living God. He can take care of it. Sometimes he just wants to redirect what we're doing. Rethink some things. Stop and know. He said, be still and know that I am God. We started on a deck on a sunny day as the man rips open his lawnmower and starts mowing next door. And we're in a church building today. And we've seen souls saved and lives changed. God has final authority of this church. I am the under-shepherd to the great high shepherd. I go to God on your behalf and the direction of this church. And so I take it very serious when we make a move. But I'm thankful that God revealed to me that this week, it's okay, Todd. And that bitterness and that expectation and everything that I thought just moved away. And then here's what he said. Guess what you get to have? And I said, well, God, what do I get to have? He said, you get to have a new school up on a hill. And I said, that's great. So what's that going to do for me? He goes, it's a community center. You can use that building anytime you'd like. And I went, I'm so glad that you're God and you're God of my life. Even though I said it was still a North Hill, and they revealed to us this week that it is not by advertisement 
or driver buyers and pastor buyers that builds a church. Church, it's you. You have to build the church. You have to be the David. You have to be the one who believes it, who invites, and who tells people about God. Stop the family dollar today, and here's what I said to the lady. Do you go to church anywhere? She said, I don't because I work Sunday mornings every other Sunday morning. I said, well, what do you do on those other Sunday mornings? She goes, I don't go anywhere. And I said, well, you need to come to church. I said, oh, let me give you my personal invitation. And she's like, wow, thanks for inviting me. I've been out of church for some time. Your neighbors are out of church and nobody's invited them. Would you invite somebody? Would you tell them about the gospel? Would you make a difference? Would you love somebody? Would you believe that the message that they're going to get, one of the greatest revivals, was the Welsh revival? But even D.L. Moody was at a place, my wife was even sharing the story. She may have shared it with the ladies this morning, it might be next week. But about a little church that had no revival was dead dry. But the power of God came upon it and over 400 people were saved because they invited. Church, it's not up to me, it's up to you. And it's between you and God. So be a David. Stand strong. Stand firm. That's what I learned this week. In my weakness, he'll make me strong. And I'm not wavered because I'm I'm, I was called to build a church. And to build a church, I don't care if it's in Akron, Ohio, or if it's down in Talmadge, or if it's in Kaga Falls, we're still building a church. You're the church. You're the community. And God reigns on high. We just have to get to a place where we start to believe that He still is the God who is going to do a work and wants to transform people's lives by our witness, by your witness, by my witness. Lives were changed that day because David stood and he said, I'm going to face my giant. What is your giant this morning? Have you let go and let God? Have you surrendered Because I had to surrender my feelings, my emotions, my level of disappointment. And I'm real, folks. I'm just telling you. And this morning, where are you at? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? He loves you and He died for you. And guess what? I was called just like you are. So is He calling you? Is He tugging on your heart? I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. Do I get nervous when I get up here to speak? Yes. Do I say, God, help me? Yes. He keeps me humble so that his word continues to go forward. What are you doing in your relationship with him? Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we come to you realizing that you're the wonderful, merciful Savior, that you've come to us to seek and to save the lost, Lord, to fill us, to teach us, to discipline us. Father, we're moving forward. And Father, we're just going to stand in obedience to Your will and to Your way. And so, Father God, would You continue to do a work upon this church and upon this congregation? Not as a whole, but even as an individual. Maybe somebody here today is struggling in their life of surrender, and they just need to surrender and say, I look at every ministry of the church as a as important from working in the nursery to the toddler class, to children's chapel, to the adult program. And I see that my prayer life is important. God, would you help me? Would you restore me? 
Father, we cry upon you to do a work today. Lord, we are grateful that your hand is upon all of us. We trust in you. And we ask, Lord, that you'll be with many that are in this room. Lord, and I even think of the Nusha's family. Lord, would you stand in the gap? Would they see and feel the presence of Almighty God as they face these days of uncertainty, of discouragement, of anxiety, of loss? Lord, we realize your word says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, for you are God. And we honor you today. In your name we pray. Amen.